So it's so good to be with you guys here this morning. My name is Peyton Rogers. I serve here as student pastor, if you don't know me, and stoked to be with you guys this morning. Hey, I got one, i sorry, I got two announcements before we get into it. One, if you've been going here since February of last year, you know, and if you haven't, I'm about to explain what's about to happen. You know that we have, the student ministry has something called Big Huge Weekend. And it's one of the greatest weekends that we have. Life change happens. This year we're going with a theme called Limitless, talking about how when Christ saves us, we are no longer bound to our, the limits of our past, bound to our past period, and we get to live a new life in Christ. We get to live limitless. So super excited what that's going to entail, how that's going to go down. We're bringing in a band this year, um, and we're bringing in a speaker. It's always a great weekend. So if you have a student grade 6th through 12th, make sure that you get them going to this. It's going to be March 10th through the 11th, and then we'll follow up with that Sunday. We will come to church. Sign-ups will begin this Wednesday, and you want to get the early rate so you only have to pay less money, and we always like to save money. So, and second thing I got for you, we're talking about Taking Ground. That's the series we're in, and we will be doing the church-wide fast here in two weeks. So that will be, begin January 22nd. So when we talk about Taking Ground, we talk about praying big things in our life, praying for the calling that God has put on us, Fasting is a great way to hear from the Lord, great discipline that we need to have. So church-wide fast will begin January 22nd. So now let's, let's get into it. It's January 7th. New Year's was a week ago. So that means statistics say that 21% of you made your New Year's resolutions, New Year's intentions, and you didn't make it through a week. But I've got faith in Faith Co. because we are bigger and better than that, and we push through. And if you've already, if you've already given up, start back. Nobody will know you missed the first week. But one year, I made it my intention that I was going to run a marathon, a uh, half marathon, sorry, not the full one. A half marathon. And uh, this was a terrible thing because I personally hate running. I played baseball. My running was my coach told me, hey, run until I throw up or run until I get tired. So running was never something I loved, but for some reason I wanted to run a half marathon. And so my training for this marathon was very weak. I ran six miles the Saturday before. And then OBU does an event called the Whole Milk Two Mile. Rest in peace if you're an OBU student. Um, OBU does a Whole Milk Two Mile where you run two miles and you drink whole milk, a whole gallon of it, and there is throw up everywhere, and we pay to do this. It makes a lot of money for a good cause. but um, So that was the training I did for the half marathon. And so we get to the half marathon, and just like anything else in your life, starting something and ending something is the best part of it. The middle is the hard part. The first two miles of the half marathon, man, you're running with a pack of people, you're running for a cause, and you've got a runner's high, and you're going, and it's great. And then the very end, the last mile, you come around that corner, and if you run the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon, you'll know as you round that corner, there is hundreds and hundreds of people on the street. And I'm a words of affirmation guy, so as I'm running, people are like, you're awesome, you're the best. I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you, you are the best. And I'm running, and I got all the high running down because I'm a words of affirmation guy, so they're all encouraging me, and I'm just, I'm running on cloud nine. But it's the middle that a lot of people get stuck in. And we talk about taking ground. We're in the midst of a trial. We're in the midst of chasing the calling God has put in our lives. We're in the midst of a struggle. The middle of it is a lot where we get stuck. See, we like, we're all about going to somewhere, but it's hard when you're in the through part. And so, if you've got your notes, take notes. If you've got a phone, take it on there. If you're not taking notes, I'll give an offer of repentance at the end. I'm just kidding, but take notes. Here's, here's the phrase that we're going to be looking at today. Everything's going to funnel through this. In order to get to, you have to go through. In order to get to, you have to go through. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can worship a God who loves us, a God who cares for us, and a God who is there for us. God, you are so great. Let it be your words and not mine today. Father, let us have a great service. Let's walk out of here changed, Father, and all learning something more about you. It's in Christ's heavenly name I pray. Amen. So in order to get to, you have to go through. So in order for me to get to the finish line, I had to go through 13.1 miles. Or really, what I ran for was the massage at the end. So in order to get to that massage, the 30-minute massage that was free and so heavenly, I had to run through the 13.1 miles. And see, the middle, like I said, is where it gets rough. See, mile eight, I'm running, and I, you know, I've got music in my ears, because, but it becomes white noise. Like, I start to hear my blood pumping in my veins. I start to hear my organs going up and down. I'm hearing my thoughts telling me how crazy and dumb I am forever running this. And so I'm hearing these things. And then mile 10, a whole new animal is unleashed. Mile 10, what happens is a pack of raging demons are unleashed inside of my calves, and their one sole desire is to eat their way out. That's what it felt like. And so getting through the middle, getting through the through is hard. We want to get to the finish line. We like the word to. I like to go to Colorado. I like to go to Florida. Or I really would like to go to New Zealand or Australia or Hawaii. So if any of you guys want to purchase a plane ticket for me, there and back, preferably, maybe just there, um, that would be great. But I don't like going through the through. I don't like going through the through of 13 hours driving to Colorado or through the 21-hour flight it's going to take me to New Zealand when you guys purchase my ticket. I don't like the through, and we're, we're a society full of instant gratification. We love it instantly. We want it now, and so we love the two, but see, God is a God who loves the word through. God loves the word through. He loves the process. See, for you to get to, to the calling he wants you to be at, for you to get to the place he wants you to serve, for you to get to that dream, you've got to go through the process. He's got to shape and mold you. He's going to put you in positions that you need to be once you achieve this calling. He's got to put you through things to test your faith, to strengthen your faith, to get you to the two. And so we're going to be looking at today, in order to go to you have to go through. See, we're going to go mountaintop to, there's our word, mountaintop, but not without going through the valley. We're going to go glory to glory, but not without first going through the suffering. We're going to go blessing to blessing. Yes, you're going to be blessed, but not without sacrifice. You're going to go miracle to miracle, but not without going through the storm. And so we like the word to, God likes the word through. And today we're going to be looking at Joshua 6 and looking at this point. In order to go to, we've got to go through. And Pastor Travis talked about last week um, in our lives when we're thinking of these calling, this calling we are praying over 2018. The best is yet to come. And maybe your calling is you, I mean, maybe what you're achieving, you're dreaming, is that my family will be bolder for Christ. And, and Pastor Travis talked about speaking it writing it, and living it. So you're going to speak that over your family. You're going to pray over your family. You're going to speak that in your household, wherever you go, that we're bold for Christ. We're going to be bold for Christ in 2018, but you're going to write it down so that everybody can see. Like Habakkuk talks about, writing it on the stone so that it's displayed and at the forefront of your mind at all times, you're going to live it too. You can't just sit in the background and watch these things go down when opportunities arise. You've got to take the opportunities and live it. And so speak it, write it, live it. But today what we're going to look at is the through part. What happens when I'm chasing this calling that I have on my life, but I'm stuck in the middle? What happens when I'm in the through? How do I get to the next step? How do I get to the two part, the mountaintop, the glory, the miracle? How do I get there? So we're going to look at being stuck 
in the middle. And so when we're talking about taking ground, there's three questions we're going to ask when we're in the through. The first one is this. Who is my commander? Who is my commander? And so in the military, it's taught that from the earliest of stages, if a leader, if the commander of your platoon, the commander of um, your, your little section, if he dies, you are to, somebody has to step up and take that spot without hesitation. Somebody is called to that point of leadership without hesitation because they know that without a commander, there's no direction. Without a commander, there's no moving forward. Without a commander, there's no make, I mean, taking ground. And so you've got to decide, who's the commander of my life? Is it still me? Do I hold that control? Or have I given that to the Lord? Because when I step in relationship with the Heavenly Father, I'm saying I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm surrendering control to you. So have you given your command to the Lord? And we look at Joshua, we're going to be in chapter 6, like I said. So if you'll turn to verse 2 says this, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. And so immediately we can see at the beginning of Joshua that God has already been chosen. They've already pointed God as the commander. But it hadn't already been that way. If we're to fall back 40 years before this, the Israelites in Numbers 14, God was the, I mean, God said, hey, you're going to take Jericho. I want to send 12 spies there. You guys go and scout out Jericho to see what you need to do. And they come back and 10 of the 12 spies say, there is no way we are taking them over. There is no way that we are conquering Jericho. And they doubted God. Matter of fact, they said, let's go back to the bondage of Egypt. Let's go back to the bondage of Egypt. I'd rather be slaves than face Jericho. And they doubted what God could do in their life. And there was a consequence for it. And when we look at Numbers 14, 29, you see this. God is saying to them, he says, you will all drop dead in the wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will enter and occupy, you will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give to you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. And that is because those two spies said, hey, who cares what they look like? God has told us that we can take Jericho. He has given this, us this calling, and we can face the battle. We're going to conquer them. And so they had faith in the Lord. And we see in Joshua 6 where Joshua and Caleb are leading this, this military, this, this, uh, leading this army, this battle that's about to take down. I'm about to take, yeah, about to go down, sorry. And so in Joshua 6, they knew that they needed to establish their commander was the Lord. Because they'd already looked back and saw how when they didn't do that, when their parents didn't do that, it failed them. Their parents tried to take command into their own hands and wanted to go back to Egypt, and it failed them. And they, therefore, never saw the promised land and died. And so when you're looking at taking ground, you have to establish who your commander is. Is it the Lord, or are you still trying to hold the control? And as I've said before, that when I'm in control or when you are in control, when you're holding on to those reins, your life is out of control. But the second you step out and you give those reins to the Father, the second that you are out of control, your life becomes to be in control. And not because you're not going to face trials or struggles, you're not going to face hard times, but because you've got a God who's got a plan for you. He knows your past, present, and future. He knows where you're going. He knows where you need to be. And so you've given him the reins and let him do the guiding instead of trying to do it on yourself and finding your own way. Your life is in control, not because there's the absence of hard, but because there's a God who is bigger than the hard who is directing it. 
And so why do we give that control to the Lord? It says this in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path to take. So the first part is telling you what to do. Give this control. You don't have the right understanding. You don't have the will. You don't have the power to make it through. Give it to him, and he's going to guide your path. And it says in Proverbs 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And so in order to give, get through the through, in order to get through the middle, you've got to give control to the Father. You've got to give command to the Father. He's the one who will guide your step, who will show you the next step, and who's looking out for you and knows where you need to be. So maybe today you're stuck in the middle and you can't get through because you haven't given the control over. Maybe you're still trying to see how you can make things happen, how you can get through it. And see, until we switch from an I mentality to a he mentality, we're never going to get out of the middle. Until I stop saying, I can do this, I can get through this, I can do this myself, I'm going to make it to, you know what, I can't do this, but he can. He is my strength. He is my fortress. He is my guide. He's going to give light to my path. He's going to show you He's going to show me my next step. So you switch from an I to a he, you're going to be stuck in the middle for years on end. You've got to switch from an I to a he. And so we've got to quit leaning on our own understanding, our own will, our own strength, our own knowledge, because it's going to get us nowhere. Instead, establish your commander, and let's start taking ground. And so first, who is your commander? Who is my commander? Second, am I ready for battle? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, am I ready for battle? So we're going to look at Joshua 6, verses 3 through 11. So if you'll turn there with me, you've already got it. If not, it will be on the screen. So verse 3, it says this. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing their horns. When you hear the priest, give one long blast on the ram's horns and have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Verse 6 through 7 is going to be Joshua just telling the people this. And then verse 8 it says this. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priest and some behind the ark, and the priest continually blew their horns. And then Joshua said, do not shout, not, do not even talk. Not even a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So this is the battle that's about to go down. This is the battle that's about to take place. But I kind of want to set this up, what it would have looked like in this time. So archaeologists have found the ruins of Jericho, but they've also studied how their wall would have been based on history, finds, and, and other records that were recorded. And they've realized that the walls, it was actually walls of Jericho because it was a two-wall system. And so that first wall would have sat here. There would have been an embankment, and then a second wall would have sat at the top of that embankment. And that first wall would have been roughly 12 to 15 feet of stone, and then they would have put another 20 to 26 feet of mud on top of it. So that first one, four stories high, 46 feet tall, a big wall in itself. But at that next embankment, there would have been another wall, and that wall would have been roughly the same size, but because it was on top of the embankment, it appeared as though it was 100 feet tall. 
and the people of Jericho could look down and people would have just looked like ants, but it appeared as though it was 100 feet tall. It appeared to be bigger than it was. And I feel like a lot of times in our life, what the devil likes to do is he likes to make the walls, he likes to make the through, the middle, appear as though it's bigger than what it really is. He likes to make it appear as though we can't conquer it. He likes to make it appear as though we're not going to make it through because he knows the second we conquer the wall, then we've taken ground from him. And so he likes to make things appear bigger than they really are and appear as though our God is not big enough to make, let us make it through them. He likes to make things appear. So, continue on the city of Jericho. You've got that first wall, and that would, have kept, that would have covered the city, would have encaged the city. It would have been roughly six acres. If you went to that second wall, the whole area would have been roughly nine acres. And so if you were to do a walk around, it's estimated to be close to a half mile would be the walk around. But that doesn't sound all bad until you hear how far the Israelites walked from their campsite to Jericho and back. They would have walked 15 miles there, carrying everything. They would have walked around the wall once, walked 15 miles back. And so every day, they're walking 30 and a half miles. So the second day, I mean, I'm a, I want to give up on the first day, but the second day, I'm thinking, oh, the, these, these demons are in my calves. They're eating through. Like, how am I going to do this? And it gets hard because they were, when they got stuck in that middle section, but it would have been even worse for the priest. They were carrying this Ark of the Covenant. Now, only the priest could carry the Ark of the Covenant, so much so that if somebody else touched it, they would have instantly died. And so the Ark of the Covenant was, Ark of Covenant was made of not just a, it's not just a little dopey cardboard box. This is carrying the presence of the Lord, my lanta. It was made with some wood, and it was overlaid with gold, had a mercy seat on it. I mean, this was some elegant looking, this is an elegant looking box, and so they're carrying this, and it wouldn't have weighed very light. As scholars have done research based on dimensions, based on weight of this type of wood and how much gold, they can't be exact, but just the box itself would have, um, would have weighed roughly 575 pounds. And then once you were to put the stone tablets in there of Moses amongst the other things that were laid in there, they estimate that it would be roughly 615 pounds. As we look at any time the Ark of the Covenant is carried in the Bible, we'll see that it was roughly four to six men. And so if it was four men, they're carrying 153 pounds. If it was six men, they're carrying 103 pounds. And all you tough guys are out there like, oh, that's, I can do that. It's just like a Peyton sitting on my back. Like I could carry a Peyton sitting on my back. But until you started, you walked 15 miles there and you're walking around and you can't drop that Ark of the Covenant, you're starting to think, all right, Peyton, get yourself off already. My shoulders are getting tired. How am I going to make it all the way home? Because they weren't allowed to drop it. This is the presence of the Lord. And you know, when I look at this, when I look at this plan, you realize how crazy it is. That they're going to go, they're going to carry this Ark of the Covenant, they're going to walk around the wall seven, or they're going to walk around the wall for six days, one time. That seventh day, they're going to come back, walk around it seven times, they're going to yell at the walls, and they're going to fall. Like, that sounds crazy. But I look at our own lives, when we're chasing after a calling, when we're going from mountaintop to mountaintop, when we face that valley, a lot of times the valley is crazy what God does with us. We look back and we go, wow. How did you execute that plan? And I can't believe I am where I am now. I would have never saw that if I was at the beginning of it. That seemed crazy to me. You know, the Israelites at this time, they had to be, you get to day five, and you're exhausted. You're thinking, are we going to make it to day seven? Is the wall really going to fall? These Jer the people of Jericho are telling us that we're just dumb, that we're, why would you ever trust your God? Why would you have faith in this? And we're not supposed to say a word to them. I can't even talk back to them. This is crazy. Is it actually going to fall? But, you know, carrying the presence of the Lord, 
A lot of times what we realize is that carrying the presence of the Lord and living a life following his calling is hard sometimes. It's not always good. Yeah, we're going to hit mountaintops, but we've got to go through the valleys. We're going to see miracles, but we're going to go through storms. And so Paul writes in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And there's a reason he says to die is gain. Because no longer when we die will we face trials. No longer will we face the persecution. No longer will we have to decide if what we're doing is right. No longer will we have to chase after a calling. No, because no longer are we living for the Lord. We're living among the Lord. We're in his presence. We are seeing his glory shine. And we don't have to worry about the struggles of the world. So to die is gain. But to live is Christ. We're called to represent him. We're called to chase after the calling to pursue what God has got for us and to share the love that he has shown us. And it's hard sometimes. But a lot of times what we like to do is we like to say, you know what, this is too hard. There is no way there is any good in this. But hard is never the absence of good. And more so, hard is not the absence of the Lord. And actually when you get, I can't wait for you to get to the two spot. When you're on the mountaintop and you look back at the valley and you realize, wow, Lord, look what you did. And you never left me. You were by my side the whole time. And you grew me. And you cared for me. And you showed me. Man, heart is not the absence of the Lord. See, taking ground is hard and getting through is hard. Waiting on the Lord and following his calling is exhausting sometimes. It's a struggle. It's hard to trust the Lord when everything is going wrong and it seems like everybody else's life is going just fine. Seems like everybody else's marriage, everybody else's financial issues, everybody else's kids are all doing great, and for some reason it's you that's the one struggling. It's hard when you're in the through. Being stuck in the middle and getting through is hard. Your marriage, you feel like you're stuck in the middle, and it's how are you going to see the other side? How are you going to make it through? Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Keep taking ground. You're your kids, they keep acting up and they're running away from the Lord and you're wondering, how can this happen? I've prayed for them, I've pursued them, I've poured into them. How are they running away from the Lord? Well, don't stop. Keep pouring into them. Don't give up. Keep taking ground. You've got somebody who maybe is a lost friend, a lost loved one who doesn't know Christ and you've constantly be, been trying to get them to come to church, trying to get them to the Father, trying to get them to the cross, but it seems like everything you do, they just take another step away from Jesus and you're praying and you're loving and you're showing Christ to them but nothing seems to work don't give up the battle the through is hard but keep pursuing them keep loving them keep praying for them keep taking ground see your season is coming your day seven seventh lap is coming See, the Israelites realized that it was all worth it when they hit that seventh lap, gave a shout, and the walls falled. It says in Joshua 6, 15 and 16, it says this. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had before. But this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout! For the Lord has given you the town. And then in verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. The Israelites realized that it was all worth it once they had captured the city. That their seven days of walking, 
that that seventh lap of walking, that the 40 years they waited in the wilderness and before that the bondage they were in, that God came through and all the hard was worth it and the absence, I mean the hard was not the absence of good, it was not the absence of the Lord and he walked through them, walked with it through them the whole time. In the same way, keep taking ground, your season is coming. Your seventh day, seventh lap is coming, it's gonna be here, it's on the way, but you gotta keep taking ground. You can't give up, you can't stop pushing through, you've gotta move through the hard. In order to get to, we have to go through. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, hard, but worth it. So, we establish, who is my commander? Am I ready for battle? And the last thing is, do I know the results? Do I know the results? If you know me, you know I'm a ginormous Cubs fan. If you've met me for longer than a week, you know that I'm a huge Cubs fan. And October of 2016 was one of the greatest months of my life because the Cubs won the World Series. And I'm not a bandwagon fan. Listen, I convinced my whole T-ball team that we needed to be the Chicago Cubs for, like, or the Cubs for our team name. Like, my great-grandma was a huge Cubs fan. Maybe it's just in my blood. I don't know, but for some reason I chose the Cubs and I endured all the suck that we went through until last year. And so we're going and we make it to the World Series and I watch game one and I'm thinking, let's go. We're about to win the World Series. We're not going to be the lovable losers anymore. This is going to be great. First game, lose six to zero. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Are you serious? But I'm thinking, I've got faith. We're going to push through the hard. In order to get to, we've got to go through. And so I'm believing, and we go to the second game, and we win. And I'm like, there it is. There's the Cubs I know right there. The announcers are trying to tell me, hey, if you lose the game, if you lose game one, you'll never win the World Series. But I'm believing. We go to game three, we lose. I'm like, oh Lord, please don't let it come true. I call my older sister, I say, Andy, we've got to go to Chicago. We've got it. They need us. The Cubs need us. And so she gets off the phone, and we start looking up things, and hotels are raging expensive. We find family there. And so we drive up there. This is a rash. I mean, this is within 48 hours, 24 hours. We make this decision. We leave the next morning. And so we get up, and we drive to Chicago, stay with family, and go to the game five the next day, one of the greatest experiences of my life. I mean, we're seeing, I didn't even go inside the game. I didn't pay for that. I don't got the money for that. Thousands of dollars. I'm a youth pastor. Um, and so we didn't go inside. We didn't even go inside of a bar. The bar's cover charges were $250 just to watch a TV screen. And so we stood outside of a bar and watched the screen from the middle. But honestly, it was the best way you could do it because what happened was you'd hear the roaring fans inside and they'd cheer and you're like, yes, what happened? And then two minutes later, when you see it on the screen, you realize, yes, he hit a home run. That's what they were screaming for. So you got double the excitement. It was awesome. And I knew that they needed us because we came home. And then what happened? They win the next game. And they tie it up. And we go to game seven. And, you know, game seven was a struggle because you get, you get all the way. And you're like, the Cubs are winning. This is great. And then right before the rain delay, if you watch the World Series, right before the rain delay, we start blowing the lead. And I'm thinking, oh, my Lance, sorry. We made it to game seven. And this is where we're at now. And then the rain delay was God divine. And we came back and we won the game. And we were 2016 World Series champions. Oh, go Cubs, go. But I love that moment so much. I love that experience so much that I will go back and watch the World Series. I'll go back and watch game seven when Chris Bryant fills the ground ball and he's smiling and he falls on his face as he throws the ball because he knows he's about to win the World Series. But I'll start at game one 
And I start watching the game, and we lose 6-0 to zero that game. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me, Madden? Take him out. Like, mind you, I already know the results. I know we're the 2016 World Series champion. I'm like, Madden, take him out. Are you kidding? You can't pitch. Take the dude out. We're going to blow the lead. And we get to game three, and we lose again. I'm like, are you kidding me? We're not going to come through. We're not going to be the World Series champions. Are you kidding me? Mind you, I already know the results. And a lot of times in our own lives, what we like to do is we're so focused on what's right in front of us that we don't realize that in the end, our result is we win. In the end, we win. We're so focused on what's right in front of us. Just like me, I'm watching the Cubs, and we've already been the World Series champions, but I'm getting mad at them because of what's right in front of me that I don't step back and realize that we already won. We've already had the win. In the same way, when we look at the Israelites in Joshua 6, verse 2, we're going to go back to that. It says, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. And I think what is so cool about the Lord is that anytime the Israelites went into a battle, he prefaced the battle before they even went into it with, I have given you Jericho, here's what you're going to do. Or I have given you the Midianites, here's what you're going to do. He gives them the confidence at the beginning that in the end, they win. And so as I look at that, I begin to question the Lord, like, God, why don't you give us that confidence? Why can't I know that through this trial, through this struggle, when I'm chasing my calling, why can't I know that in the end, I win? Why can't I have the same confidence you give the Israelites? And I imagine there's other of you who are like that. You might be in the middle right now. You might have just got through the middle. As you look back, you think, yeah, that was me. I was questioning God. Why don't you show me the results, God? Where am I? What's my next step? What do I do? How do I keep taking ground? As I began to read through the scriptures, I realized that the Lord gave us confidence, but way better than he ever gave us confidence. I mean, way better than he ever gave the Israelites confidence. If you'll get your Bibles or your phone, turn with me to John 19.30. I think this is the most, I mean, you can't give us any more confidence than this. So as you look at John 19.30, we're about to see is that, the preface of this is God sent his son out of love for you and for me to experience a relationship with him. And he came and lived a perfect life. He goes to the cross and he dies. He didn't stay dead. He conquered death and tell that Satan not today. And he rose again. But when he's on the cross, he says what I say is the three most powerful words ever spoken into existence. So as we look at John 19, 30, it says this. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. We're going to read this again, but when it says he said, I want you guys to say the three words he said. So when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. That was pretty good. But listen, you got to have some confidence in these three words. You got to have some power in these three words. You guys, this way, it is finished. Like, that's what you're doing here. See, this is, these are three words that change the course of your life. These are three words that give you the confidence that I've got a God who died for me. He rose again. He gives me a hope. He gives me a calling. He gives me the same power that raised him from the dead, lives inside of me. You've got to say these with some authority here. Let's try this again, church. Come on. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, that's some power right there. That's some power. It is finished. See, Jesus, when he was upon that cross, he took your sin, your past, your present, and your future sin, he took it upon himself, knowing that you may or may not uh, begin a relationship with him, but he was going to die for you just for the hope that you would. And when you enter into a relationship with him, he says, your sin, it's been forgiven, it 
is finished. Your guilt, the guilt you have because of the sin. He says, listen, when you repent of what you have done, I forget it as far as the east is from the west. And if I forget it, then so should you. Your guilt, it is finished. Your shame, when you step into this relationship with Christ, the world's labels they try to place on you no longer bound you. Your past no longer bound you. The shame you have of what you did no longer bound you because when you step in a relationship with Christ, God says, you are a child of mine. I call you son, I call you daughter, you are an heir to my kingdom. No longer do you need to listen to what the world says. Your shame, it is finished. Your trials, chasing the calling, trying to find your purpose in life. When you step in relationship with Christ, he gives you a hope a purpose, and a calling. And he is going to be with you in those mountains, I promise. But he's going to be with you in the valleys. You are never going to walk alone. You fighting through things by yourself, you doing things alone, you not having the hope and a calling, all of that is finished. You get to walk with him now. He is now your guide. He shows you the next step. You being alone is finished. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, it is finished. See, we have the same confidence the Israelites had, but even better. See, God conquered death by sending his son to die on the cross. He rose again, but then he told us he's coming back. He's coming back to get us. He's coming back and he's going to conquer the devil. And so we got to quit getting so focused on the walls that are right in front of us that we forget the confidence that the Lord has given us in his son Jesus that we won on that cross and we win in the end. So can we make a decision today to keep taking ground? See, because life is not about what happens to you. Life is about how you respond to it. So let's make the decision to keep taking ground. And sometimes... Like me, when I watched the Cubs, I just needed to take a step back and look forward and see, yeah, we end up winning. We might have lost some battles. We might have lost game one and game three, game four, but we come back in the same way. Yeah, I've got these trials in front of me. I've got these struggles in front of me. I'm chasing my calling, and it's hard, and I'm stuck in the middle. But in the end, I win. In the end, I'm a winner. And see, when Satan tries to pull you down, he tries to take you away from your calling, He's doing that because when you're taking ground for the Lord, you're taking ground from Satan. When you're taking ground for the Lord, you're taking ground from Satan, and he's going to do everything he can to stop you, everything he can to make you not a threat to his ground. He wants to protect it, but you can turn to him, and you can say, you know what, Satan, just like the song says, not today. Because I've got a God, I've got a Jesus who conquered death. He's coming back for me, and my Jesus wins. And if my Jesus wins, I win because I'm a child of him. I'm a part of the body of Christ. In the end, I win, so not today, Satan. To bring us to a close, I want to point us back to the first phrase I gave you. In order to get to, you have to go through. In order to get to, you have to go through. And I know that many of you right now might be stuck in the middle. You might be in the hard. And no one sees what you're going through. No one sees your sacrifice. No one knows what you're experiencing. And you're wondering your next step. 
You're wondering what to do. You're wondering, how do I take ground? Here's what I want you to do. Pastor Travis gave us a great way to start the year off by speaking it, writing it, and living it. So I want you to speak life into yourself. And here's what I want you to tell yourself. I'm letting go of control. And I'm establishing that the Lord is the commander of my next step because he is the one who can guide me out. He is the one who can change my circumstances. He is the champion of taking ground. Let's let God, because it's all God. He is my commander. He is my strength. I'm no longer relying on my own strength because it fails me. I look to the heavens. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of the heavens and the earth. And that same maker of the heavens and the earth, he uniquely designed and created me for a purpose, a calling, and he gives me hope. And he is for me, and he is not against me. He wants to see me take ground in my life. And so I'm not turning to anything else. I'm turning to the Lord because he's all that I need. I'm no longer keeping control. I'm pushing through the hard. I'm going to go to because I'm going through. I'm going to go to because I'm going through because I'm going to face the trials. I'm going to face the middle. I'm going to face the through. But I got a God who is far greater than the, bigger, than the middle and any walls that I am ever going to come into contact with. And he is my guide. He is my fortress. He is my strength. He is my deliverer. He is my help. He is my all in all. And he's the commander of my next step. I'm going to go grace to grace. I'm going to go strength to strength. And I'm going to go glory to glory. And I am taking ground. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the life that you give us through your Son. That we are so unworthy of the love and the grace and the forgiveness that you give us. But God, you still want a relationship with us. Father, let us never stray from you being our commander. Let us never stray from you being the author of our next step. Father, prepare us for battle. Prepare us through the middle. God, we want to go mountaintop to mountaintop, so walk with us through the valleys. Walk with us through the sacrifice and the suffering and the storms. Father, give us a confidence that we have never had before. That you already died for us. You conquered death. You are a God of overcoming, and you're coming back for us. God, give us that confidence as we walk out today that in 2018, it's going to be the best year yet because we're taking ground, we're moving forward, and we're giving everything to you. Father, let us be bold for you this year. Let us, be, let us have the greatest faith that we have ever had in our life this year. God, let us take ground this year. It's in Jesus' name I pray. If you'll keep your heads down and your eyes closed, maybe there's some of you in here today who you're in the middle right now. You're trying to get to, but you're in the through right now, and you don't know what your next step is. You don't know what you're going to be doing next, how you're going to get through it. You're trusting God, but right now nothing seems to be going right. If that's you, I want to pray for you. If you've got a loved one nearby, grab their hand. You guys are gonna walk through this together, hold each other accountable, and point each other to the cross. Dear Heavenly Father, as many of us are stuck in the middle right now, Father, show us that you're here. 
Remind us that you're here. Give us the confidence that we are going to take ground and we're going to get to the two and we're going through the through right now. And it's hard and we feel like we're stuck in the middle. But you're going to take us to a mountaintop. You're going to take us to a blessing. We're going to look back from that mountaintop and realize that it was only you. Glory can only be yours. Father, we're going to go too because we're going through. And you're going to shape and mold us and use us for your kingdom. It's in Christ's name I pray. I'll pray one more prayer with you. Maybe there's some of you out here today who you don't have a hope. You don't feel like you have a calling. You don't feel like you have a purpose. And you're stuck in the middle right now. And you're looking for anything. You've been struggling. And you came here today and you heard for the first time, or maybe the 31st time, that there is a God who sent his son to die specifically for you so that you can walk in relationship with him because he wants to give you a hope. He wants to give you a purpose. He wants to give you a calling. He wants to use you for his kingdom. So he sent his son to die for you for the opportunity for you to spend eternal life with him and walk in relationship with him. So if that's you, if you're in that place today where you've never given your life to Christ, but you want to experience his love, his grace, his mercy, and be given a calling and hope, I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. All I'm gonna ask you to do is between me, you, and God, you just slip your hand up and slip it back down. I see your hand. I know I saw at least one hand, but more importantly, I didn't see you. God saw your heart. And as I pray, I want everybody to repeat after me. But if that's you, I want you to pray this and know that you've got a God who loves you and cares for you, who wants to give you a plan and a purpose, and your life is going to be transformed because of he is now the guide of your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I've been searching I've been looking, but God, you found me. I was lost, but now I'm found. God, give me direction. Give me purpose. Give me a calling. Be Lord and Savior of my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we worship the Lord today?